You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is the Stepover Pod with Jim Adair and Max Rappaport. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at the Stepover Pod and on Facebook at the Stepover Podcast. Now, let's talk Sixers. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Stepover Podcast. That's right, episode number. I got absolutely nothing. I didn't bother looking anything up. I'm in a mood right now. Uh, I am Jim. With me as always is Max. Max, how are you feeling? In a bit of a mood myself, but um, yeah. feeling a lot better than last night, for sure. Yeah, last time we spoke was right before Game 1. Uh, my prediction, and I think we you kind of agree with me, um, maybe not the specifics of game by game, but my prediction was that the Sixers would lose Game 1, so uh, I kind of didn't let that really bum me out too bad. Um, I didn't like the way they lost, but I expected them to lose that game, uh, so that was fine. And then I thought they would string off three in a row, lose Game 5, win Game 6 to win the series. That's not how things went. Uh, it was looking that way for a little bit last night. Sixers had a lead of, I don't know, it was something like 68 points at one point, right? They were up like by like 75. Uh, about that, yeah. Yeah, roughly. I'm, I'm rounding down, actually, I think. Uh, but yeah, and then things just did not go according to anyone's plan. And maybe there was not much of a plan. Maybe that was part of the problem. But uh, how did you feel about last night's game, Max? You know, I... I think you're right that we both said coming back off that long rest, I I think we both like took the the route of, um, you know, rather than, oh, Boston's coming in, haven't played seven games, they're only have a a night's rest. Like, I think we both kind of thought, all right, they're going to be a little rusty. It's on Boston's home floor. They haven't lost in the playoffs. They're good at home. They're well coached. Like, we kind of chalked game up, game one up as a loss, although I don't think we thought it would be a blowout the way it was. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Game two, I, I thought they'd come back and win games two and three, and I think they still could win three. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm bummed. Like, it, it sucked to be up whatever it was, 24, 25, and, and blow that. Um, and, it, and it sucks that it felt like down the stretch, Boston was just the better team, and the Sixers were – it was kind of a, of a role reversal. Like, the Sixers have kind of played the role Boston played at the end of that game – for like the last three or four months, it feels like yeah. where when games are close like that, the Sixers just hit big shots, get stops, find a way to like eke it out. And yeah, it was the complete opposite. Like Boston's getting easy buckets in transition. They're mm. turning the ball over and going the other way with it. And Jason Tatum's finishing, you know, for an N one or kicking out and somebody's hitting a wide open three. Like it just, 
it just sucks. Um, I think though, I'm looking. You know, I had a, a thought like after the game, and you know they lost by what five? Um, it was relatively close. You know, JJ Redick hits that shot with like a minute thirty left or whatever it was. That wide open three. I think it's. A, I think the Sixers probably win that game. I think he missed that, and then the ball, and Celtics came the other way and hit a shot and. It never came, you know, Sixers never got it back after that. Um, but I think I kind of came away from the game feeling like, you know, a couple th- a couple things go the Sixers' way down the stretch. Celtics miss one of those open threes at the end, and we're having a completely different conversation. Instead of, right. like, this is terrible, we're going to get, you know, swept by the Celtics. Uh, we counted our, our eggs, you know, before they hatched, all that stuff. I feel like we'd be like, okay, we're one one coming home. We haven't, you know, we've been awesome at home the whole year basically, or since twenty eighteen started. You know, I think it's just, I think it's interesting. I think it's like kind of human nature, and is in some ways anti process that, you know, we're 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 so down. I think so many of us, and I felt the same way right after the game. I was just like super bummed and like sad and like and mad this is like the the maddest i think i've been watching a game like game one was really frustrating because they just didn't do anything right but this was yeah. like like i was like yelling and enzo would get like my dog would get like freaked out kind of thing and i'm like watching the yeah. game alone in my apartment and like getting super mad um and that doesn't i i can't remember the last time it's felt like that and i feel like after the game after a little bit of time passed and definitely when i woke up this morning i was like you know they lost these two on the road they easily could have had game two. Um, and I'm not optimistic. Like, the Celtics look awesome. Like, Brad Stevens is coaching his ass off. Terry Rozier is, like, fucking Steph Curry all of a sudden. Jason Tatum looks awesome. Al Horford is, like, everything that everyone on Twitter who's not from Philadelphia says Al Horford is, but he isn't usually. <laughs> it's just It just feels like the Celtics have their number um and i I think they make it a series like i think the sixers take it to five six yeah more than five and they take it to six um probably win these two at home and then it's you know who knows after that but um you know i I guess i i guess i don't see the skies falling in the same way other people do and i did at first but i think i've come around on that a little bit and i'm kind of realizing that it wouldn't have taken much for me to feel for i think for everyone to feel the complete opposite way if they just narrowly eked out that that win last night i'll say this and i honestly don't know i'll 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 dive into this for a quick second um i'm the type of person who i don't think most people are probably this way like i have no control over how i feel about something right so like you know there'll be like you know minor things that like really bum me out or like major things that are great that like i don't get excited about I don't know why I'm, like, weird, really, really calm. I don't know. I think it's what I said at the beginning of the year, which is, like, there's a serenity when the plane is crashing. It's out of your hands, you know? And so the game ended. I, I was bummed, obviously, but I felt fine. And I think it's because I've tried my best to temper my expectations all along the way. And, you know, if you've listened to past episodes of this, um, every single time I would, I kind of like would try to vary my expectations as the team looked better and better and better while still saying all along kind of like, well, they're playing with house money. You know, this is a year before any of us expected it to be this. They're not going to win the championship. 
So it's almost like whatever they do is just informing what you do in the offseason, right, and informing what you do next year. Uh, it w- I think I probably would feel different if they played a really great game and just got their asses kicked. Um, I don't know how different I would feel, but, like, Ben Simmons probably had his least effective game since he was probably in, like, the fourth grade. Um, they're just not rotating on defense. Uh, there are some things I would have done differently coach-wise, but, again, I am not a fucking coach, so I don't know. Uh, I do think you have to trust your players, and I think Brett is right to do that, but, you know, there are times when maybe you go, you know what, leave TJ in the game, for example. Um, I do want to get yeah, back I don't to know. that later, by the way. Yeah, but... we will, we will. Um, I don't know. I just, I think because I said at the beginning of the playoffs, I made the decision as best I could to fear no one, right? That in in making that decision, it meant I also didn't fear the Sixers. What what do you mean by that? I I didn't fear them doing poorly. You know, I kind of just like resigned the fate of the playoffs to happen. And then I would deal with it no matter what happened. So I don't know. It's like, it's weirdly calming. Again, I think it's the serenity and the plane going down. Well, I think the problem, uh, and uh, you're, you're more calm, I guess, than I am. I, I think that I'm the, surprised at myself. I'll be honest with you. It makes no sense to me. Well, yeah. And I think I'm probably where I, I've gone through like several stages of grief, probably over and over again, uh, the last 12 hours or whatever, 15 hours. And, and I think right after the game, I was like, so upset and drained and frustrated and just like down I was like this you know coming into the playoffs coming into obviously the season coming into the all-star break when they went on that big big uh run like it took me a long time it took me basically until game one against Miami to be like okay this team is legit and like can be legit right now and this isn't just gravy it didn't feel like that in that moment um yeah but I I think that was, I don't know. I, I don't want to say foolish. I just think, like, we all know what this season was about, and I think we got really excited because it felt it felt like the Eagles run. It's like, you know, the Eagles yeah. were a similar thing where it's like they have no business, like, getting to the getting to the uh, Super Bowl and no business, like, going on the run they did without uh, Carson Wentz. But once they did, it was like, you know, you're halfway through that. You're in the the conference championship game, and you're like, "Holy shit! Like, we're, we can do this!" And yeah. it it flipped. It, instead of being like, "Yeah, this is like all gravy that they're you know gonna maybe win a, a, a round in the playoffs, maybe you know maybe two if they're lucky, and you know do it without Carson Wentz, and then you have him coming back next year. They're a young team, like, but that changed once they were like doing it, and you're like, "Holy shit! They can win yeah. the Super Bowl now!" and the Super Bowl didn't feel like gravy at all. You know, it felt no. like that was that was a Super Bowl. So, you know, and that's kind of how it's felt to this point. It's like, wow, like, you know, um, things are kind of aligning in the right way and um, they're playing really well and the Celtics series went to seven and, like, maybe they can steal one at home. And, you know, I think this is more, this is a more reasonable route. Like, the Sixers have come back to earth a little bit in this, in this series, uh, certainly in game one especially, but... They've come back to earth, and I think it's like I don't want to lose sight of that and just be pissed off as if this is like, you know, the as if we're like Clippers fans three years ago pissed off that we're not making it out of the second round. Like, that's not what this is. You know, it's like Ben Simmons is a a 21-year-old rookie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's not like this is the, you know, 
the like Andy Reid's last couple of years where it's like, all right, well, we've been here so many times and we're not getting over that hump. So something's got to change. Like this is the this is the first year of that. Right. Um, and I do think that it is Nick Foles's fault. Thanks for bringing that up, uh, Max. Uh, we can blame Nick Foles squarely for all of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, it that kind of, you know, warped the expectations, even, even subconsciously, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and they may have just, you know, without even noticing it, like, you have that feeling like, oh, shit, this is our year. Like, everything's going to go so well. And then when it starts not going so well, you, you, you react in the opposite way. So, yeah, it's 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 really you're not used to feeling like a winner and then with the super bowl win and then that that last two months of basketball felt unstoppable and now you're being stopped pretty handily um and it doesn't feel like you know this is like this is not how it was supposed to go right yeah so yeah i do think there's something there's definitely something to that context wise with the rest of the uh the city's teams just the one really actually just the one team but uh, yeah, let's go back to uh, to Tej. So I, I think we have different takes on it. Maybe I don't really know what your take is. I mean, I gleaned from what you were saying. They thought you thought they should have left them in the game. Um, I, I I I will just before you get in, I'll just yeah. clarify mine. I think I would have left him in the game, but that doesn't mean that it's the right decision. If that makes sense. Yeah. What, would like, you say I probably you, would have ridden him. W- w- was that with hindsight? Like at the whatever it was, five thirty-five mark of the fourth quarter when they brought Ben Simmons uh, back. Were you feeling that way then, or were you like, oh, no? Shit, this really so, so I, I'll tell you. I was watching with some people, and I won't use any names in case people don't want to want it to be known that they associate with me. <laughs> um, which is fine. I understand. Uh, but I there was one person specifically that I was there with, um, and when they were about to bring Ben back in, first of all, the, the fourth quarter was about to start, and we both kind of said, you definitely have to start the fourth quarter with TJ on the court. Uh, at that point, I think Ben was like a minus 22, and TJ was a plus 18. Again, single single game plus minuses are very misleading sometimes, but when they're that big of a gulf, there's definitely there's sometimes something to it. Uh, and then when Ben was getting put back in the game, this person that was there pretty much said I wouldn't put Ben back in the game for the rest of the game. I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um I don't I didn't full on like 100% like yeah, me neither, but I was like, you know what? I I think you're probably right. You know, I would ride it out until you feel the need to put him back in the game. Uh until the TJ thing stops working, but it was working. They were I think by remember my brother texting me over the span of a couple of minutes. I think they were up 4 and then Simmons got subbed in, and then within a couple of minutes, they were down six. So it's a little quick 10-point swing. And again, he's the second best or best player on your team. Uh, he's a top 20 player in the league right now. And TJ McConnell is neither of those things. So there's a certain part of you that says, ride the hot hand. But when that hot hand is, I don't know, your team's eighth or ninth best player, and you want to ride him over your team's one or two best player... I think conventional wisdom says hot hand goes out the window and you stick with your guy. So I'm, I'm like 50, 50 on it. Uh, in the moment I was like, they shouldn't put him back in. But I think looking back on it, even though you could say quote unquote cost them the game or it just certainly didn't help looking back with hindsight. I think I agree with Brett. Yeah. I guess my take isn't that different then. I, I remember I tweeted, I forget what point it was. It was probably like really early in the fourth quarter. Maybe right after you hit, hit those first two buckets. Um, I think I just tweeted like they should just leave TJ in. 
um, mm-hmm. which they did. I mean, they kept him in for like the first seven minutes of the fourth, which is yeah, way more. I mean, he played, um, what was it like twelve straight minutes at that point? Like he played five in the first half or whatever it was, and then he ended ended with just over seventeen. So he played like a little over twelve minutes straight uh, from like the last third of the third quarter and then the first half of the fourth. And I just I just feel like. The one thing they maybe could have done was when they came back to Simmons at the 530 mark and um, the Celtics pretty immediately started going on a run. Uh, They could have brought TJ back with like two minutes left. They could have just gone, Ben Simmons doesn't have it tonight. He's really rusty. He's looks a little shaken. Let's bring TJ back and try to, or like put them both on the floor or whatever, whatever it looks like. Um, Yeah. I, I don't begrudge. Brett Brown for, for taking him out at the 530 mark. Like, it would have been pretty crazy. He would have ended up playing, like, what, 17 straight minutes? Uh, that's Yeah. For a guy who averages, like, 15 minutes a game, 13 minutes a game in the playoffs. Like, I just I, – I just – I think it's I think it's a lot to ask. And it's not – TJ was playing great, but it's not like he was – you know, if it's, if it's Marco Bellinelli and he's hitting shot after shot and whatever. But, like, TJ's a hustle player who um, – kind of does what he does and sometimes it works really well and last night it did but it, i didn't really necessarily see it as like a hot hand situation i think it was that ben simmons was struggling so much and tj had like a really nice yeah. game but i'm not confident that if you left tj in he was just going to keep making plays like i think tj is what yeah. he is he's like a an energy guy off the bench and I, there is a point there is an extent to which i think like for ben simmons sake i think you bring him back like i think the the I mean, this isn't like the only thing that matters, but like the TNT cameras right. were like panning to him every time uh, TJ like made an assist or like you know the Sixers like scored a bucket. Like they would cut to to Ben Simmons like sitting on the bench pouting, and I just think if you had spent the rest of the fourth quarter with him sitting like the final 15 minutes of the game, scoring one point and taking and making no field goals, like it's just not good for him. In the same way that they they kept Markel Fultz on the on the bench. Um, in garbage time in the first in the first game, I think it just would have like the crowd was chanting like "Not a rookie at Ben Simmons" or you know whatever. I just feel like if you'd brought Markel Fultz in, it was like for what? And I, I kind of wanted right. them to just because I wanted to see him. And I honestly feel like I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more Markel Fultz in this series, given the, their struggles to make plays and get things going offensively and get in transition. But like, I get it. I get the mental part of it for Simmons and the Fultz decision as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of a... I think it, part of it, too, is that we all love TJ, right? So I feel like it was kind of like the, you know, the perfect storm of, like, Ben was having a rough game, obviously, and a lot of people who don't like Ben or are harder on Ben have make the whole, like, he doesn't have the killer instinct argument, which I think is uh, horseshit is the word I'm looking for. Um but last night you could have made that argument like his head didn't seem like he was in the game and you seemed lost at times. And then you have TJ, this, you know, bastion of playing the game the right way, uh, coming in and doing that. And I was trying to think of an example like, you know, if if Embiid was having an absolutely terrible game and Amir Johnson was doing great, would people be like, oh, leave Amir in? They wouldn't. But there were times earlier in the season, I think, where Embiid was playing pretty rough uh, and People were clamoring for energy man Trevor Booker to get more minutes, so I don't think my comparison will hold up anyway. So yeah, I, I but yeah, think I think I think, I think right. you go with yeah, I think you go with with I think Brett made the right decision because if you're gonna you know what 
if you're going to lose, you lose with your best players. I think I still I think you stand by that. You know. Yeah, and I and I think it's like it's revisionist history. It's like if Ben Simmons comes back yeah. with five thirty left and scores a couple buckets and makes some nice passes and gets out in transition for a big dunk or something, people are like, "He's back!" Like, what a finish for Ben. Simmons. You know, it's like I, I thought that obviously Ben Simmons was not aggressive enough. Um, I don't. He gets this way sometimes, and I think it's really frustrating to watch where. Um, he misses a couple shots or he just doesn't feel like he's getting things going and he just looks to pass way too much. He's like, yeah, he, he was, he was coming down in transition and picking up his dribble at the foul line. He's, he's like what people thought LeBron was 10 years ago, (laughs) you know, where he like doesn't take the big shot or whatever. And like LeBron's obviously now totally changed that. And I think it was overblown at the time, but I think Ben Simmons is like totally that, that criticism that people had of LeBron like times a million where he just gets into this mode where he's not going to look for his own shot. And it's, you know, it's one thing to not want to take like, when he had Horford on him and he had a couple feet of space to not want to take a 17 footer, but it, you know, like he's around the rim and he could like take a hook shot. And I know he missed a few shots early, but it's like, just keep shooting your shot. Like you've only taken four the whole game. Like, you know, it's, I just, I would have liked to see him stay aggressive. He's a, he's a decent scorer. He can get to the line. Um, he can make things happen. Like I, I, I feel like if he takes his foot off the gas pedal that way, it like really limits what the Sixers can do. Like he's a great passer, but yeah. I think a lot of his value comes from the fact that he's so big and so quick that teams have to defend both. And if they don't have to defend him getting to the hole, then it totally changes the game. Yeah. And then there were also, you know, it's not like he was the only player who had lapses or had a rough game. Embiid was over-rotating on defense, and it looked like he was jumping passing lanes that didn't need to be jumped, and then was just getting burnt, and they were just letting free shots at the rim happen. I mean, his his defense on that Horford play at the end of the game was terrible. I mean, I mean, but also in the same like to to in Joel's defense, it certainly doesn't help that he's just the only player on the team who can defend at the rim. Essentially, I mean, Covington had some really nice blocks and stuff last night, but if someone gets by Embiid, they're basically going to score. Um. Which is why I think he just needs to, you know, stop trying to really, you know, I think he's so competitive that in his head he wants to go after everything, and he needs to just try to stay home uh, a little bit more. And I know it's hard in the playoffs on the road in that building because you wanted to shut that crowd up. Uh, but once that crowd gets going, they just crush you. And I think he left the home base a couple, few too many times. He's let the easy buckets happen, and then the the train started running out of control. Yeah, and I think I think it really fell apart when he got in foul trouble. I think when he got his fifth foul, I think there was like three thirty left or maybe three minutes left. Yeah. And he just he had to let up a couple buckets. I mean that was one of them. Like he didn't try to foul Horford. He didn't like try to contest the shot at all once he got beat. Um and maybe he was thinking too like he'd rather he'd rather try to jump the like jump the pass and keep Horford from getting it than let Horford get it and potentially foul you know, not be able to really defend him because he's playing with five. Right. You know, and then he had, he had that that one where Jalen Brown got by him, and he just had to basically let him let him get it, let him you know finish. Right. And um, yeah, and that that really hurts them. Like when he's in foul trouble, it's their defense is so bad because he just can't do the the thing he does that makes their defense go. Right. Yeah. Um. You know, I I guess there were things overall. I felt encouraged. I thought Robert Covington had maybe his best game. Uh, would you say his best game like since the All Star break? Um, without like, you know, definitely like eye test and feeling wise for sure. JJ Reddick could not miss. 
Yeah. Uh, which is why it's also super frustrating. Like you, those games were now wasted. Um, both of their games were wasted. TJ's game was wasted in a loss, but um, they, they mean that it happens. You're in the playoffs now. You got to basically try to win. This is going to sound silly, and I'm going to explain. It's not. I said you're going to have to try to win every game, which obviously, no shit. You got to try to win every game. But, like, you can't let moments pass, right? Because you only get so many shots, and then you have to go home. So. Thanks, Magic Johnson. You, you can't have the. Yeah. Well, you can't. Well, you can't have the mindset of, like, well, this one's gone. We'll get them next time, which I feel like you could see that on the faces sometimes last night. Yeah. And I, and I think, too, like, you know, something that's being overlooked is, like, you know, they. I thought a lot of guys hit shots. Um, you know, Covington had a great game. TJ obviously had a really nice game. Uh, Bellinelli hit some tough shots. Obviously, Reddick was amazing. And fucking Celtics hit everything. Like, I mean, Jason Tatum yeah. was great again. Terry Rozier hit huge shots in the fourth quarter. I think I saw today he, he has a 90% effective field goal rating in the fourth in these two games, fourth quarter, and hasn't turned the fucking ball and nuts. hasn't turned the ball over once. Um, yeah. Al Horford was, was great. Um, I feel like he just didn't miss when he got like decent looks. Um, fucking Marcus Smart was hitting three. Like I just, they. they I mean, I feel like the Celtics have been super hot in these games. And the first after, after the yeah. first game, I went. You know, this they can't keep this up, and the Sixers can't be as cold as they were in the first game. And I thought in the in game two, the Sixers were were like kind of their normal selves, and the Celtics were not as hot as they were in game one. But they were still like playing really, really like just guys rating shots who normally don't hit those shots. Um, right. And I don't, you know, I, I guess I'm looking at this series and certainly have to like reevaluate where I was going in, where I thought I was like maybe 70% confidence, 75% confident that the Sixers would win the series. You know, that's obviously lower now. It's probably more like 40% or 35%, mm-hmm. but it's not zero. I feel like people are treating it like the series is over. And right. I just don't see it like that. Like, they're coming home. Um, I think these two games went – the first game went as poorly as it could have gone. And the second game, um, you know, Ben Simmons was awful. And I don't think – the Celtics, If I look, you know, just looking at their box score and looking like remembering the game, I feel like nobody – none of their role players or, like, starters played below their, their average. Everyone was either way right. better than they normally are, like Terry Rozier, or they were, like, exactly what you'd expect. Um, right. So, you know, I think coming home, if they can win these two games or even if they can just win one of them, like it's still a series, but obviously if you, if you split them, it's, it's really tough from there because you play two more games in Boston after that to, to, if you even yeah, wanted I'm, to win I'm, a series, but I think if they could easily win these two and then it's a, a, you know, an even series going back to Boston. I'm a little concerned that they've already lost whatever home court advantage they're going to have for the next two games. You mean the crowd is going to be different. The crowd's going to be if if they come out early and they they fall behind early or they start making silly mistakes or they start turning the ball over the air is going to be taken out of that arena and then any kind of advantage you have is gone. I guess I see that. I think if they come out and it's a close game, I think if it's anything but like a blowout like game one was from the start, um, I think people are into it. I think you know it. it 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 doesn't take much to swing a series. I think especially after next game, if they can win game three, yeah. regardless of how the crowd looks, I think game four is going to be, you know, people are going to be excited. Like it's a chance to, to even the series. And I think people, if they do, I think people are right back to being like, okay, maybe they can win this series. And like, you know, um, 
feel, feeling a lot better about it than they were than they are right now. And I think I think the the negativity has just gone like too far the other direction. Where the Celtics, I mean, I, I think the Celtics just look awesome, and um, Brad Stevens is coaching the shit out of them. But like, if you lose this series because of those two things, it's fine. Like, it's it's okay. It, yeah. the Sixers will be okay. Um, but I also don't think that you look at these two games and go like the Sixers can't possibly beat this team. Like they almost did last night on Boston's home floor uh, and, you know, got nothing from their second best player. Yep. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. The series is far from over. Um, But they, I mean, they got to win. They got to, and they got to win with authority to really kind of take any kind of momentum back. Because they inch, if they inch one out at home, that's fine. But like, you gotta, you gotta really make a statement. You have to have a statement win. Yeah, and I think that just the way the scheduling goes too. Like, you know, I think it's it's nice that you know it would have been nicer back in the day when they did two three two. Uh, if you had three home games coming up potentially, but you know, I think if they win these two games and go to Boston um, and you know split games five and six, let's say. I feel like going into game seven, I look at that, even though it's in Boston, I would look at that and say, okay, this is a toss up game. Like, I don't think the Sixers have been, um, obviously in game one, they were trash, um, and just didn't hit anything. And I think game two, they looked basically like their normal selves and the Celtics were just a better team, slightly better. Um, but you know, I'm not looking at this and going like, oh, the Sixers magic is gone. Like what they had the last couple months is just gone. Like, I don't, I don't really feel that way. I feel like the Celtics are playing out of their minds. Part of it is a huge part of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any other takes about the game or about, uh, games three and four? I guess what, what, Uh, the only thing I guess would be what you'd want to do with the biggest thing would be, what what would you want to do with the rotations at this point? Like, do you want to see more McConnell minutes? Um, do you want to see him try to get him and Ben on the floor together? Do you want Fultz to play at all? Like, what are you what are you kind of thinking at this point? Uh, I don't know, man. I think – I honestly don't know. I think, you know, start the game the same way you started game two. Um, and there's maybe kind of feel it out more. Maybe, you know, stick with different lineups instead of just going to whatever. But I think the rotations have been fine. I don't think I've looked at them like, oh, this is it's the fucking lineup problem. I don't think that's what I'm looking at. It's just that the people on the court aren't executing or aren't playing up to their their level while Boston is. I'm not looking at like when like, oh, why are these five on the court? Like they don't mesh. This isn't working, and I, that's not something that I'm really looking at. I mean, do you think uh, is there anyone you're looking at and going like, okay, maybe they maybe they should mix things up like a lot of people pointed to Justin Anderson who's played well in the playoffs uh, yeah. like, well I mean I said that going in I think Justin Anderson especially when there is a, some foul trouble which Covington didn't really have much last night and you kind of you would kind of spell Covington coming in for fouls but um I think especially yeah I mean this this series hasn't been nearly as like chipper uh or chippy or physical as as Miami was which is you know Anderson can kind of come in and he's a little bit tougher. He's a, he pesters you on defense the same way TJ does, but he's got actual like size and length. Um, but I still think he can be beneficial, especially when you have people who are just blowing by you every time. Cause his just wingspan alone won't be that easy to just get around. So I do think that you can put Anderson in there 
just essentially as just a purely defensive sub and like he'll throw up some threes and maybe he'll make one but um that was that would be the only change I would make I mean I don't think because Zimbabwe's not a problem so I don't think you're like all right well maybe we should get Rashawn in there um Ersan's not having the world's greatest playoffs um but he is what he is Marco is gonna keep shooting no matter how many minutes you give him uh and if those shots fall it's fine which they were until they don't and then it's really bad uh I think you try to play JJ as much as possible obviously um especially last night I was like just give him the fucking ball man just let him shoot it I don't care he's like he was making so many shots that he probably shouldn't have made and no one else was I'm like dude just have him throw up 35 footers who gives a shit it's like the same as anyone else taking a 17 footer at this point um but no, I don't think it's a huge game plan thing. The only thing I think that I would really focus on is the actual on-court rotations for defense to make sure you don't leave people open or you're just like running around chasing your own tail all the time because people are losing their, their switches and stuff like that and someone's all of a sudden wide open in the corner and then you're running full speed at them. That is more concerned to me than the actual rotation of who is in the game. Yeah, I think the one thing I could do with less Marco Bellinelli. Like I know it's like, when he's hitting shots, it's awesome, and you love him, and then last game he wasn't great, but um, I don't need 20 minutes of him, and I probably don't need yeah, 60, I, like I probably don't need 16 minutes of Ersan Eliasova. Like, Robert Covington played 40 last night, or almost 41. Uh, you know, I'd like to see Justin Anderson a little bit more. I don't think, I don't want to see less of Covington, but I want to see maybe Anderson get some of those Bellinelli minutes. Like, they bring out a lineup. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they bring, they bring out a lineup. Um, sometimes where they, they leave Reddick on the floor and or they bring in Bellinelli for Reddick and then bring Reddick back and Bellinelli stays on. And I just hate that. Against this Boston team, I just think you can't do that. Like, you can't have Marco Bellinelli and J.J. Reddick on the floor against Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, whoever. Um, I just think it's, yeah. a, it's a really bad matchup for them. And I it hasn't gone well defensively in this series. Marco Bellinelli's made a lot of dumb mistakes. Like I just would like to see less of him in general. Like you, you played you played Redick thirty six minutes last night. Just give give Marco the other twelve at that position, and yep. just all right, your shooting guard's done. Covington played forty. He'll probably play more like thirty six normally. Like give Anderson those twelve, or 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 maybe you know play Dario a little bit more and and play a, a different rotation. Or maybe this is where you like are able to get TJ some more minutes, or even Fultz. Like. Um, you know, maybe TJ plays a little bit more with Ben on the floor, just defensively, just to use TJ as more of a defender and a secondary ball handler. Like they did that in the regular season a little bit when they were trying to get Fultz on the floor. So I don't know why you couldn't do that again. I just, I just think I also, I also do think that Fultz um, played well enough down the stretch of the season that they should look to him a little bit as if they're not getting anything going offensively. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't, why you wouldn't go to him for a few minutes here and there. Yeah. He doesn't need to be the point. Like he, he could be on the floor with TJ. Like I know he can't really shoot right now, but um, I'd rather that than you know play Marco Bellinelli twenty minutes. Yeah, I agree. And I think any I, last takes from you? No, I guess I guess to add to that, it's like I'm fine with Bellinelli playing twenty minutes if he's playing well. Like he's such a, a, right. a streaky player, where it's like if he comes in and he turns the ball over three times in a, in a stretch, like maybe don't bring him back the rest of the game, or maybe bring him back for like a short. You know, if Reddick needs a few minutes rest in the third quarter, like bring him back then. But I don't like. There's no reason he should be getting consistent, uh, consistent minutes when he's not playing well. Like just use him as yep. just like 
take a temperature gauge on him and if it and if he's not hitting that night then that's really all he can do so i don't really know why you why you would keep going to him and they've done that too in in this playoffs where mostly he's been good but when he's been bad it's really bad and they it doesn't seem like it really affects his minutes that much yeah i mean there was a lot of he made a couple of like three consecutive boneheaded passes that didn't really work out well for anybody last night so and that was and that was i think when they were it was that end of the uh third or second quarter when they went on an 8-0 run uh Mm-hmm. All right, I think it was an eight-zero run. They, it was a big run. It was a part of that eighteen-three run at the end of the the half that brought brought Boston back. Um, yeah, but he was he was part of that. He turned the ball over a few times, and they got easy buckets in transition. Yeah. I think that's all I got, though. Yeah, I have one last take. Yeah, um, Kevin McHale kind of sounds like Lou Holtz. He kind of sucks. This this announce crew real like announcing crew really sucks. I really don't like listening yeah, to them not, at all. Not, not a huge fan. And it's it's more like it's less the Boston homerism. Like that's not even really what it is. It's it's more like the same reason I honestly don't really like listening to Merrill Reese call Eagles games because he just gets shit wrong all the time. Like listening to this announcing crew, it's like they'll be like, oh, and he hacks him going up, and they'll show the replay, and it's like, you know, there was like a little bit of body contact, but he got a clean block, and and instead of going like, oh, looked actually pretty clean to me, they're like, yep, got him there. You can clearly see like. And it's not even one way or the other. They're just, like, constantly missing shit. Um, yeah. Or, like, you know, I, th- I think they were they were ar- they were complaining about, like, Embiid not contesting that Jalen Brown uh, play at the end, of, or maybe it was Jason Tatum, that, like, blow-by at the end of the game where he, like, last five minutes. Uh, it's like, Embiid's playing with five fouls. Like, he Embiid, like, put his hands down to not foul or not defend, and they right. were, like, you know, finishes right by Embiid. Embiid's really got to, like you know contest that shot it's like he's intending to not contest that shot. it's like i just get right. frustrated by shit like that when i'm like watching a game and it's like how like are we watching the same game here that um jail the one that i thought was really funny was jalen brown like finished that crazy dunk in transition and then immediately was like hobbling and like uh running back and was like couldn't even like do the the jump into marcus smart's arms or whatever uh, after the timeout like was just like cl- and clearly like in pain from his ha- his injured hamstring and they're like Jalen Brown showing that his hamstrings 100%. It was like, it was like it's so ridiculous. He's like getting up there and showing that he's 100% healthy and not feeling the effects at all. It's like, what, like what is happening right now? I just, yeah. 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 Not the best crew. No. no. You would think there's four oh, series. What... You would think you'd be able to get really good crews for all four of them, but. Nope. At least it's not Reggie Miller. Yeah, that's true. Might as well be. Yeah, that's all I like got. Miller, but yeah, that's all that's I got. That's all I got too. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully, the next one's a little cheerier. Yeah. yeah. See ya. All right. Thanks, guys. So-
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.